Today's episode is brought to you by Get Your Guide. Want to make your next trip unforgettable? There's an easy way to do that. Book a Get Your Guide travel experience. No matter where your travels take you, Get Your Guide offers the best way to connect with your destination. Choose from over 100,000 travel experiences in the U.S. and around the world with Get Your Guide. Whether it's the Sherlock Holmes tour in London, the night helicopter flight over Las Vegas, or whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon, whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop, powered by an Intel Core i9 processor, featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema Rewind. This is Rob Lamb. And I am Joe McCormick. And of course, a Weird House Cinema Rewind comes from the vault of Weird House Cinema. This was originally published on September 16th, 2022. And it is our episode on extraterrestrial visitors, a.k.a. pod people. Yeah, this one, of course, is a film that was was featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the day uh, and is a richly enjoyable uh, movie uh, uh, on its own. But one of the issues in this episode, back when we recorded it, is, of course, that we did not have great film quality to go off of. Uh, The the, the best, I think, the best quality available was, was pretty grubby. We complain about it a bit in the episode, uh, but then something magical happened in the months following uh, our release of the original episode. Uh, Severin Films put out an excellent restored Blu-ray edition of Extraterrestrial Visitors. Uh, I, I found out about it months later, ordered up a copy of it. I have now viewed it, and I have to say, uh, it is beautiful. If you find any, if you find anything in this film beautiful, you will find the uh, this new uh, restored version of it beautiful. You can actually make out details uh, that are lost otherwise. Like for instance, there's the character that has the "I'm a Virgin" T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can read all the details on that shirt and see that it's a Virgin Islands tourist T-shirt. Oh, that's the 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 full story there. Uh, and just in general, like everything's in just a richer quality. Um, there's still a certain level of grubbiness just because it is still a, you know, a Spanish uh, genre picture um, of the 1980s. But, uh, but man, it's, it's a fun package. So I highly recommend it to anyone out there who is a, a fan of extraterrestrial visitors, Spanish genre films, or, or, or of course, if you're an MST uh, completist and you want a nice copy of this uh, beloved film. Uh, and one more thing, it also has a, a CD in it that has the soundtrack on it. 
uh, which which isn't much. It has, you know, just a few of the synthy bits that you hear. And then also that terrible uh, pop song that they're recording in the studio. Oh, yeah. I uh, hear, hear the engines roar now, I think. Yeah. So I actually got the experience of finding my car's uh, CD drive, putting that CD in there, rolling down all the windows, and then, you know, tearing around town with that, with that song blasting. Did you, did you feel the wind in your eyes? I did. Felt the wind right in my eyes. All systems were go. All right, let's jump right in. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And we are going to the year 1983 for this one. We're going to be discussing a film that uh, has many names. Uh, It's primary uh, title in the United States is Extraterrestrial Visitors, but it is also widely known to Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, fans as Pod People. Strangely, that title has nothing to do with the contents of the movie and makes it sound like it's a ripoff of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, when in fact it's a ripoff of E.T., but with uh, much grislier elements. Yeah, it's my rough understanding of this film is that it may have originally started as your as your basic killer creature in the woods sort of affair, but this is the year after ET. Uh, cute aliens being befriended by children is big business, and so this gets folded into the plot. So it's one of these films that, much like uh, the, much like the film Gremlins. It's totally inconsistent. Like it, one second it's doing uh, cute stuff, and the next second it is in horror mode. And uh, at the end of the, by the end of the film, you're you're left wondering like, who is this for? Like there are parts of this film that uh, I would show my child. There are other parts that I, I would not show them. Uh, there are other plenty of human characters I would not expose them to in this. Well, I'd say even the cute stuff in this movie is grotesque. Uh, the- <laughs> The scenes with Tommy the child and his alien friend, like uh, playing around and doing telekinesis parties in in uh, in the in the bedroom and making like the toys dance on the ceiling and stuff. Uh, something about that is its own kind of horror, even though I don't think that part is intended to be scary. Oh, I thought it was delightful. <laughs> Tommy is is absolute goodness and sweetness. <laughs> And so is Trumpy. Uh, Trumpy is the name that Tommy gives uh, to the childlike alien who comes into his life. So in a way, this movie is going to be in the tradition of, uh, you know, all all the movies where a child befriends a uh, benevolent, fantastical being. Think about uh, the movie that was the direct inspiration for at least half of this. Spielberg's E.T. came out Mm -hmm. the year before. Um, but uh, on the other hand, I think you can think of this as part of a subgenre of though, though it's not exactly correct in this movie because the, the horror is being done by just other aliens that look identical to the one he's befriended, but it's part of the subgenre of child befriends a deadly monster movies. <laughs> like, um, I think one of the, the, the core prototypes here is the original uh, 1931 Frankenstein, the universal monster movie where there is a pivotal scene 
highlighting the creature's moral innocence as well as his destructive power. Uh, After the creature escapes Frankenstein's lab, he wanders the countryside where he encounters a child, and the creature being innocent and childlike himself, they, they play games together and they throw flowers in a lake until the creature accidentally kills the child while in the midst of a game because he doesn't understand cause and effect and he doesn't understand his own strength. And it's that's sort of what makes Frankenstein more of a grotesque tragedy than a movie about a sadistic evil monster. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the case in pod, uh, I almost called it pod people, extraterrestrial visitors. It's, uh, I'm not sure if this movie was trying to say anything about like the, the moral complexity of the beings and their relationship to humans. The child at the, in the movie does often say they just want to be our friends, uh, yet we do see the aliens totally unprovoked to just attacking humans. I don't, well, I don't, I don't know if they're completely unprovoked. Now, to come back to Frankenstein, I, 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 and I think Frankenstein is a great comparison here, because the other aspect of Frankenstein, and this is present in the novel too, is that Frankenstein, in, uh, Frankenstein's monster, rather, uh, and you can call him Frankenstein, it's, it's fine, we checked, uh, he's cool with it, uh, the monster encounters a humanity that is hostile to him, and that fosters hostility, that fosters this, this grudge against both his creator uh, and uh, and the creator's fellow human beings, uh, and so in this film we we kind of see the same duality. Like this, we also see that Frankenstein, you know, with the, with the child encountering the child or encountering uh, the blind man, uh, because we have these two aliens, and they both have they have different experiences with the humans they encounter. the The first alien encounters poachers and hunters and and vile band members and so forth. Like the the first his first encounters with humans are all murderous. Uh, meanwhile, the second younger alien, his in- first encounter is Tommy, and Tommy uh, like hatches him from an egg. Tommy is nice to him and feeds him, and and they they venture off into a world of whimsy with each other. Uh, where the, the, the other one, the, the murderous alien has none of that. Oh, I think I see what you're saying. So like, even though the, uh, the other alien does like just randomly attack, like innocent people, like in a bathroom or in an RV, it is because the other alien had previously encountered dangerous humans. Right. Yeah. Like at that point, he's like, this is what humans are. And if I see one that I have no other choice but to kill them before they hurt me. Like he's walking around with a, he has like a crossbow bolt in his, um, in his chest most of the time because he, he's mm-hmm. also been wounded by the humans. Uh, so yeah, I, I, this was the mo- for me, the most interesting thing about this film, watching it for the first time without any riffs, without, uh, you know, the added layer of, uh, of overt humor provided by MST3K. Because I'd, I'd seen this film multiple times before via that MST3K episode, which is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a classic MST episode, but I'd never really given the film a chance to succeed and fail on its own merits. And, uh, and it, do, it, it does both. Now, I do want to come back to the title uh, in the, of this film because this is it's it's interesting that it has had it had so many titles. So it was a, a French Spanish co-production, and so it was released in its respective countries with, of course, French and, and Spanish names. Um, I believe the, the Spanish uh, is what Los Novos Extraterrestres, which is the the new extraterrestrials. And then, uh, and then the French, and French is not my uh, certainly not my my happy spot uh, for pronunciation, but I believe it is 
l'éclosion des monstres. So it's, uh, that's terrible, I know. But, but I love what it means, the hatching of monsters. I think the hatching of monsters might be the best title for this film. Because they do come from eggs. One egg is snuggled by a child in his bed, and the other egg is... Is the other egg bashed open by a poacher? I'm not sure. Multiple eggs are bashed open yeah, by poachers. Uh, we And we have poachers who are seeking eggs in the forest. So the egg trope goes pretty deep in this. Um, but, but yeah, this has had a ton of titles that we mentioned pod people. You can look up all sorts of crazy posters and VHS box art for this thing. And like, I found one that just says visitor and there is a weird, uh, illustration of Tommy and there's the shadow of something standing in a doorway, presumably the alien visitor, which looks nothing like anything in the film. No, the shadow kind of looks like the, sh- uh, the silhouette of the Giver. You know, it's like a, <laughs> yeah. it's like a kind of robo alien humanoid shape with, uh, with claws. And then there's another one I found and I love this one. Uh, this is a black box video release and this must be like, this must be like us or Canadian. I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look this up, but uh, it has this wonderful, charming childlike illustration of Tommy and Trumpy. And it just says ETV in gold swirling letters. That's extraterrestrial visitors. But for the cool kids, ETV. It's like T2. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love yeah. it. Like, how did they think they could get away with that? Let's, let's just call it ETV. Let's just yeah. cut straight to it. The, the kids don't care. This is G2, baby. <laughs> but Trumpy's very cute on this. I would say in general, we're talking about ET, Trumpy. Trumpy is far cuter than E.T. E.T. is just a flesh bag with big eyes and a glowing finger. But meanwhile, Trumpy is this delightful mix. He's like all the the better aspects of ALF combined with Snuffleupagus in a more bipedal form. What is the Star Wars character that Trumpy looks like from the Mos Eisley Cantina that has a long aardvark snout? Oh, yeah. I forget his name. But yes, he does look like him, especially at one point in the film when Tommy puts a, a coat on him with a hood. Garindan, is that right? If you say so. I, I, I guess he also looks a little bit like uh, Max Rebo, the blue uh, piano player from Jabba's Barge. Uh, yeah, though, of course, got... uh, Trumpy has hair. Yes, okay. So according to, is this Wikipedia or some yes. kind of Star Wars <laughs> wiki? Um, mm-hmm. This creature with the goggles, the hood, and the long snout is called Garindan, also called Long Snoot. It says he it was a Kubaz, I think that is an alien species, uh, and he is considered to be the greatest spy in the Moss Eisley spaceport. There you go. I mean, you barely notice him, you know? You had to look up his name. That's the mark of a good spy. <laughs> but but a big difference is that Trumpy is furry, whereas Garandan is not. You don't want to carry all that fur with you on, um, on Tatooine, though. Perhaps yeah, he uh, had himself there. sheared first. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, so one of the human characters describes the aliens as looking like a cross between, I think they're saying a, a pig and a bear, though it kind of sounds like a pig and a pear. Either mm-hmm. way, I, I'm not sure. I don't really see the pig part. Yeah, yeah. The, the snout doesn't look very pig-like. It's more, it's more of Snuffleupagus is what I think. Yeah. I wonder if that line was written before the creature design was finalized. Maybe so. 
All right. At this point, we would we'd normally give you a little taste of the trailer, but I, I looked around for a while and I could not find any trailers for this film in any language. I was looking up the various releases. I was thinking, well, okay, I can't find the, the English trailer. Maybe there wasn't one or it's been lost, but surely I can find the English or the original uh, one that... Uh, that they, they used in Spain, but I was not able to find anything. So I thought we might just have uh, some audio from the film. Uh, hopefully we'll get some of the, the charming synth music in there as well. Where are you? What are you doing? What was all that noise? Tommy? Did you hear me, Tommy? Come on, quickly. Hide in there. All right, and a note on availability for this film. Uh, sadly, this is not one where you can find, seem to be able to find a better uh, cut of the film or at least like better film quality. Uh, I ended up streaming it via Prime and I know there are some um, there are some other streams available out there. Again, if you look around in the uh, for the original uh, Spanish and uh, French titles for the film, you can find, I believe you can find it in those languages. But uh, in terms of, of finding like any kind of restored footage, we're not there yet. So I don't know if this is a film where this is as good as the, the, the video quality is ever going to get, or if at some <laughs> point we'll get something a little easier to watch because, yeah, it's, it's kind of brutal at times. It's a film that already has a lot of fog machines and uh, perhaps some day for night uh, effects going on, and mm. things get really muddy looking. The woods in this movie often look like the foggy forest that uh, that that uh, Graham Chapman gets lost in, and uh, where, oh, where they find the knights who say knee in Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail. You remember that sequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This film makes 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 great use of the fog machine. So yeah, so sadly, we're still waiting on a, on a on I guess a proper like restored cut of this film. I hope we we get there. I hope that it's out there somewhere, just waiting for someone to discover. But I think for now. Uh, as far as I know, we don't really have um, a superior uh, example of video quality to steer you towards. I, I know it came out on DVD, but um, I have no reason to suspect that that has better video quality than what's available elsewhere. All right, let's talk about uh, the human beings that made this film. So we have uh, we've we've mentioned the director of this film before. He's come up because, especially when we've talked about Spanish films, uh, inevitably some of the people involved in Spanish productions also worked on some of his films. This is uh, Juan uh, Piquer Simon. Uh, he was the director, the writer, and he also did visual effects on this film. Hmm. He lived 1935 through 2011. Spanish B movie director who became. I'm going to say he became legendary for such films as 1988's Slugs the Movie, uh, which is a film that I distinctly remember seeing a trailer for when I was a child, and it made me afraid to use a toilet. Um, it <laughs> made me anxious about sitting on a toilet. Uh, that's how, how uh, terrifying the trailer was, because there's a scene where you see slugs crawling on a toilet. Oh, there's a toilet attack in it, or mm-hmm. just, just slugs on a toilet. 
I can't remember. I, I think, no. you know, we, we, we talked about the trailer for Slugs the movie at some point for, for trailer talk back in the day. But um, I, I don't think I could quite bring myself to watch it in full. Is that one of the movies kind of like the, uh, the late 70s remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is fantastic, where the hero is a member of the local health inspection department? <laughs> is, is that so? Okay. I have a vague memory of something like that. Could be wrong. Hmm. Uh, Simone's other film of note is 1982's Pieces. This is a film that we've almost watched on Weird House before. It's been been almost queued up in the past. It is a uh, chainsaw movie uh, with a lot of other extra strange uh, <laughs> uh, things added to it. Uh, but it has a really fun cast. It's like It seems kind of like if Texas Chainsaw Massacre was not rural and texan but was about like an apartment building <laughs> yeah like an apartment building madrid in madrid or something <laughs> yeah it's kind of odd so we may come back to that one uh simone also directed the 1990 underwater sci-fi film the rift that one has ray wise and r lee ermy in it he also mm-hmm. did 1979 supersonic man that has cameron mitchell in it he did 1981's Mystery on Monster Island that has Terrence Stamp and Peter Cushing in it. And he also did 1992's Cthulhu Mansion. Oh, I'd love to see what Juan Piquer Simon does with Terrence Stamp, General Zod. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So uh, there's also another writer credited on this, um, Joaquin Grau, who's credited as Jack Gray on the U.S. version a writer who worked, he just worked with Simone on a couple of his other films. So I couldn't find out much about this individual. But uh, let's get into the cast a bit here. So really, the most of these cast members were people I was not familiar with. But there's one that has come up on the show before, and that is the character Bert, one of the hunters, one of the poachers in the film, played by Frank Brana, who lived 1934 through 2012. Not really a major character in this film, but a regular player in Simone's films. And he also turns up in a ton of Spanish B-movies of the day, including Return of the Blind Dead, which we previously covered on the show. He, in this movie, looks like a cross between Sam the Eagle and Leslie Nielsen. He has a yeah. kind of uh, silver, uh, a silver-haired authority, uh, and yet he's just playing kind of a scummy uh, poacher. Yeah, I think he I think he played a lot of heavies in his time. He shows up yeah. in spaghetti westerns and horror movies. He has those really piercing eyes, uh, often white hair, and and also seem to be able to grow a lot of uh, impressive facial hair. So if you look up just images of Frank Brana in different movies, yeah, he, he's he's a little chameleon like. He can play any kind of suspicious sort of handsome dude with really piercing evil eyes. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it looks like he, he made a career out of that. Wait, who was he in Return of the Blind Dead? Was he a, was he like one of the corrupt politicians or something? He was, if memory serves, he was the corrupt politician's henchman, ah, who you yeah. think is decent for a while and not as bad as the politician, but eventually reveals himself to be a predatory uh, villain as well. And then mm-hmm. he's, you know, killed by the dead. All right. Other other humans in this film, uh, we have uh, we have the character Rick, who's the frontman of a horrible band. Uh, this is played by Ian Sarah, dates unknown, Spanish actor, mo- known mostly for uh, this film, for Pieces, for Mystery on Monster Island. So you know he was a regular player for uh, Simone, uh, but he's recently directed and produced. It looks like. Um, and hmm. yeah, in this he plays Rick, a perfectionist lead singer of a terrible band that makes everyone around him miserable. 
they're really it's like they're setting him up to be the villain of the movie he's like the jerk (laughs) who you know will finally get his comeuppance from the monster in the end but no it seems like in the end the movie you you realize that he is sort of the hero of the movie uh it's very weird But he doesn't really do much that's heroic. Like, he doesn't really have an arc. He doesn't have a redemption story. He doesn't realize that he was a jerk. He just kind of, by not, he stops actively being terrible, but he doesn't really do anything all that good. I guess he's a little heroic, but for movie heroism, it's very mild. Oh, no, I'm not saying he does anything qualitatively (laughs) heroic. I'm saying he fills the hero slot in the movie. Like, he is the the young guy who comes in at the end, you know, and, like, shoots the monster and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that regard, you could say he's, he's definitely filling the space that should be occupied by a more heroic figure. But no, yeah, complete jerk of a character, uh, essentially no redeeming qualities. The only thing that changes really at the end is he just sort of like stops having lines. And yeah. <laughs> I, I guess there that, you know, well, that's, that's an that improvement. Much is a blessing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Uh, let's see, another human of note in this. There's um, Nina Ferrer playing Sharon, a member of the band, and Rick's girlfriend, uh, Dates Unknown, a Spanish actor who appeared in a handful of films. And this might be the best well-known, at least outside of, of Spain, as far as I can tell. Then there's also Susanna Biker, who plays Laura, a fan of the band. Laura uh, is also a mild spoiler. She will be one of the early victims in the film. Um, but kind of a victim of both human, more of a victim of the humans, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to the aliens. Uh, at any rate, uh, well, span- yeah. it's confusing because mm-hmm. I thought that her death is caused by humans, but then she gets the little, like, uh, uh, the, the big dipper inscribed on her forehead, which suggests she was killed by the aliens. So I don't know. Hmm. All right. We'll have to suss that out. At any rate, uh, Beaker here, Spanish actor, mostly active and still active on television. For instance, she's currently in a show called Now and Then, which is apparently on Apple TV Plus. 
and uh, she's had a she had a small role in Hostel too as an Italian translator, and she is, according to her online acting profile, fluent in English, Italian, and French. Oh, speaking of, do do you have any idea whether the actors who appear on screen also provide the voices in the audio dub? I wondered if there was any difference there because I think a. I think most or all of this movie does not have live sound. The the dialogue is dubbed in. Right. So yeah, my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, is that, it, again, it was a French-Spanish co-production. And I think lines were recorded for both a French version and a Spanish version. But I don't know if both of those, if we're talking about two different takes in two different languages. I don't know if we're mm-hmm. talking about one is the live take and the other is the dub or as is sometimes the case with films of this caliber, if both were dubbed and they just, and they didn't do sound. I don't know. Hmm. All right. We mentioned Tommy already. Tommy, the heart and soul of this film, the, the sweetness of this film, this, this film's hope for humanity, um, played by Oscar Martin, born 1972, a French child actor who I think would have been like 10 or 11 at the time of, of filming, which coincidentally is the age of my son, so I think that's why this film had more of an effect on me watching it uh, this huh. time as, as, as opposed to the past. Because like, here's this, here's this, this child that is, you know, that is still has all of this innocence in him. And he's, you know, he's into cute animals and, and caring for animals and nature. And he has this goodness in him. And, you know, there's a lot of that that reminds me of my own son. And there's also this, you know, this fear of them growing ever older, getting closer and closer to that world of, um, of, of teenagedness and, uh, and adulthood and all of the complexities of all of that. Uh, so I, I think all of this made me think a little bit deeper about this film and read more into this film uh, than, than I did in the past. Oh, okay. This is explaining a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I suspect your son would make better decisions than Tommy does. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't know. We'll see. What is Tom? Well, we'll get into it. I'm, I'm trying to remember okay. what, what Tommy's worst decisions are. Uh, well, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I mean, maybe Tommy, it's hard to blame Tommy too much. He, I think of him as essentially uh, <laughs> kind of unleashing an alien horror on everyone, but he doesn't, <laughs> it's not so much his fault. Yeah, yeah. I would say he increases the amount of entanglement between the people and the aliens, but maybe that was inevitable. Yeah. Martin here playing Tommy is is good though. I I enjoy him. I feel like he's a good uh, he does a good job as a child actor in this. And in the English dub, we I don't know for certain, but we kind of have that same thing going on that we had with the House by the Cemetery, where I think we we might have an adult woman dubbing the voice for Tommy, which adds to the sort of weirdness of the whole situation. Yep, yep, yep. What was what was the kid in House by the Cemetery? Was that Bob? Bob, yes. Yeah. <laughs> At least this time, a proper child's name, right? Tommy. That sounds like a, a child a child's name. Bob. That's a grown up's name, right? All right. A couple of other actors of note. There is there are numerous actors. There are really too many human characters in this because the band and, and uh, has just multiple members and hangers on, uh, some of which have no real impact on the plot, but. Uh, Tommy, as we learn, Tommy lives with his mom, uh, whose name is Molly, played by Concha Cuetos, born 1944, Spanish actor who worked mostly in TV and was also in Slugs. <laughs> and then we have, um, uh, and, and then Tommy's Uncle Bill lives with them. Uncle Bill is played by Manuel uh, Pereiro, who was born in 1927, a Cuban-born uh, Spanish actor, I believe, who has a fairly diverse filmography, 
having appeared in movies that also feature the likes of John Finch, Steve Gutenberg, <laughs> Alan Arkin, Leonard Nimoy, Julian Sands, Paul McGann, and Paul Nashy. Of course, Paul Nashy. Yeah. Um, I, uh, oh man, I'm going to get tripped up a lot when we're talking about the plot because this is Uncle Bill, but I was definitely just thinking of him as grandpa. So he is grandpa to me. <laughs> yeah. And he's, oh, he's awful. He's just a grumpy man who yeah. distrusts everyone, hates animals. Um, yeah. He you, really you, hates Carl Linnaeus. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so as we'll discuss um yeah bill uncle bill is uh, is not a likable character all right and finally the music the music is definitely i think uh, one of the the best attributes of the film uh, the music here was done by libra pastor pastor worked on a handful of simone films including pieces a spanish organ player and composer he was apparently a member of, of the band los roberts and uh, the soundtrack was released on vinyl in Spain. So some of these films we end up talking about were like, oh, what if they ever put this out on vinyl? Wouldn't that be cool? This is one where it came out on vinyl originally. I don't think anybody's put it back out on vinyl. I don't know that it's available anywhere officially, like as a digital and as a digital version. I don't think it ever came out on like cassette or CD, but it came out on vinyl and the cover is pretty great because it has this wonderful illustration of Tommy looking up into the sky and there's like a halo of light behind him los nuevos extraterrestres uh so comb your local used record store if you find a copy right in this has got to be worth a fortune at least to certain very specific individuals but anyway the the music in this uh is pretty fun the, the score anyway lots of synth very atmospheric at times also very goofy and carnival-esque at times mm -hmm. um I remember in the MST3K episode, they distinctly made, I think they made a, a, a music from the hearts of space joke uh, in there because it does have, have that kind of feel at times. Uh, did this person though also write the pop song that is the, uh, that is diegetic music within the movie? It is the band, the song, the band sings in the studio. I do not know uh, about that. I don't think that awful track, uh, which is, which is known as idiot control now, um, on, on uh, among MST3K fans. I don't think that's on the on the score album here. And I did note that I, on IMDb, there's another individual credited as well for music. And so mm. perhaps that individual had something to do with the creation of that track. I'm not sure. I think outside the context of MST, the song is actually called Burning Rubber Tires, which is a really? wonderfully attractive name. <laughs> But I, I would say this is actually, it makes for one of the all-time great uh, MST skits. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you watch MST and like a lot of times the skits aren't the aren't the best part, but the, the skit in the Pod People episode where they sing a parody of this <laughs> song is, it's got to be top three ever on the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joel does a, a, a spoof of it and it's, it's tremendous. Definitely, this was a situation where watching it unriffed, I still had the echo of a number of the riffs in my mind yeah. as I was watching it. Steady as she goes, we're flying over trout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except the weird thing is, I thought some of the lines they sang in their version that were just, uh, that I assumed were just straight parody are literally the lines in the real song. Like, I oh, think yeah. all I want to feel is the wind in my eyes, which is <laughs> hilarious, is actually the lyric. I think it is. Yeah. That's, that just sounds insane. Like if I'm feeling the wind in my eyes, I, I probably need some goggles. Yeah. That's going to dislodge a contact lens. Okay. You ready to talk about the plot? Let's get into the plot. All right. We get, 
how many movies have we watched recently? I feel like this is a really uh, common opening motif. We open on a star field. We're just looking at space. Yeah. This has got to be like, I don't know, at least four out of the last seven movies we've done. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I feel like this one especially is kind of an example of how not to do it logically. I feel like if you want an, a logical example of how to do it, look at something like John Carpenter's The Thing, right? Mm. Where we have Starfield, object entering Earth's atmosphere, and then we pretty much cut to stuff on Earth. We don't go back to space. We, oh my we, God. We're never just stuck in space without any hint of action going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, but there's something I do like about this opening, actually, uh, that's a little more stylish than I think most of the film is, which is the bass beat star. There is like, uh, there's kind of a pulse, a beat in the soundtrack that is synchronized to the flaring of a star in the middle of the of the void. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, we see after that, there's a big explosion. I guess that's supposed to be a supernova or something. I don't know. But then, then there's like a hunk of something flying through space toward the camera. And I got to say, from what I recall, this is completely different from the opening that I remember from uh, uh, from the version of the movie that's used in the Mystery Science Theater episode, which I recall was grainy slow-mo footage from a totally unrelated movie. Yeah, the Film Ventures International version, uh, with, that's where we got the title Pod People. Uh, that was based out of Atlanta, by the way, back in the 70s. But uh, oh. the version they put out on, uh, I assume, VHS... Uh, that they used footage from Don Dollar's 1985 film Galaxy Invader in the opening. Don Dollar, of course, is the guy who did Night Beast. Yeah, I've seen Galaxy Invader. Galaxy Invader and Night Beast uh, have some things in common. Both of them are about a an alien that crash lands somewhere in like rural Maryland and then runs mm-hmm. around scaring people. Yeah. Yeah, we, we really need to do one of his films at some point. They're all basically, all the the alien films anyway, and he has like, what three or four of them? They're all essentially the same plot. They yeah. have different and different alien or different aliens in them, but they're they're always enjoyable. One thing I remember about Night Beast is the 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 titular beast has a really cool like uh like shiny suit. It almost looks like mm-hmm. a like a suit like a cool like singer from the seventies would wear, like in a disco band or something. Oh yeah, yeah, he does have a shiny suit, doesn't he? But okay, that's the opening uh, of. Uh, what are, wait, what, which one, which name are we even using to call it? Uh, extraterrestrial visitors. And then we, we go down to earth and we're looking at the woods of fog and bog. We are in fog and bog territory. The atmosphere, again, it kind of reminds me of those misty woods with uh, the knights who say knee. Uh, it's very atmospheric. In fact, like you could imagine some of these, uh, these environmental shots being kind of cool in a better movie like the the atmosphere is not bad it just doesn't segue into very compelling action instead what we get is like three poachers kind of bumbling about arguing with each other and it's like uh are we here are you sure are you sure you're sure (laughs) and i think they're trying to steal eagle eggs or something yeah they're like fumbling around for a ladder they're they're scaling a tree and they have what they claim to be like three grand worth of of eggs that they've stolen like three thousand dollars worth of eggs they're gonna sell mm-hmm. on the black market. I was wondering if they might be Fabergés. I don't know what are the what is the market for eagle eggs? Do people want to cook them and make eagle omelets or are people trying to hatch eagles? What's the deal? I don't know, but the, the bottom line is at the, the very least when we meet these three poachers. They have no respect for nature. All they see is profit, and they're going to break the, break the rules. They're going to break all rules of, of, of law and man and alien to get what they want. They are bad dudes. 
Uh, and then we zoom out again. It's like, ah, I'm tired of Earth. Let's go back to space. And so we just see like auroras of weird energy in space. And we see the Earth from orbit and uh, all kinds of stuff going on. And then we come back and then they're like, okay, you saw that. Now let's go back to Earth. Um, here's a kid in bed and he gets up out of bed to scold his cat. He's talking about like naughty kitty. Uh, I don't remember why the kitty is naughty. Uh, it's just uh, where it's not supposed to be. I think it, it got up to move around. Okay. So he's like, all right, going to take the kitten back to bed. Uh, yeah, this is this is our introduction to Tommy, a child of absolute goodness who loves animals and nature, whose room is home to roughly 100 different species that he's caring for. <laughs> they are, And they're not only his charge, they are his friends. Uh-huh. Oh, he's just, he is just childhood innocence. He is biophilia incarnate. He's, a, he's just utter sweetness and an example of what humanity could be uh, on this world or in the universe at large. Only likable human in the, in the picture. Yeah, beautiful, wide-eyed innocence and, and curiosity. A stark contrast to the, to the grumbling evil of the poachers. Right. And then, uh, but let's go, let's go check in with the poachers again. So something crashes to Earth. The poachers, I think they're hanging out at a campfire, but they're like, well, let's go investigate. And one of them stumbles into the, the crash site, and it is a cave of glowing red fog. That's kind of mm-hmm. weird. Uh, but he goes inside, and the cave is full of eggs. I don't know why, but for some reason, he's like, I got to bash all these eggs. I got to smash them. So he gets yeah. a stick, and or is it a stick or a hammer? He's just start bashing all the eggs for no reason. Yeah, yeah, it's awful because he just he happens upon this holy grotto of extraterrestrial eggs, and his yeah his immediate <laughs> reaction is just to start smashing them all, just like must destroy all of these eggs, and you're like, no, don't do it, and he just keeps doing it. But oh no, there is something in the cave of glowing fog that does not like the egg bashing endeavor. Uh, we get a POV of some kind of creature that comes out from around a corner and attacks and kills the poacher dude. Yeah, this is creature number one, which I guess we're to think of as an adult creature uh, or a mature creature of this species that it was maybe already aboard this ship or mm. this or whatever or this piece of its planet, whatever the, the details may be concerning this thing that has crashed with eggs on it. Um, but uh, it's kind of, I guess, kind of an egg guardian. It does. I don't think it's supposed to be the mother because we later get some testimony from from Trumpy creature number two. Uh, in which he's asked where your where its mother is, and he like points to the stars or points at a constellation on a map or something. So it's just another creature, a mature uh, individual from this species. It may be Trumpy's brother or sister, but it is not his yeah. parent. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because we haven't met Trumpy yet. Right. Um, Trumpy's still in so, the egg because not all of the eggs are smashed. It, it'll, it will turn out later. Right. Most of them are smashed. Uh, so then we follow the poachers some more. And it, I'm confused about what they're doing at this point because at first they were stealing eagle eggs. But then it shows them like aiming rifles at deer. So are the, are the, do they, do they just also happen to be hunting deer at the same time they are poaching eggs. It's confusing because it at first I thought, oh, I guess they're going to shoot deer because they, they at one point they're like uh, the, the white haired one, the Frank Brana character. He's like, well, we got to get out of here. This feels weird. There's something weird in the forest. Let's let's move. Mm. But then they seem to stop to consider shooting some deer. So maybe they're not in that big of a hurry. And then they stop uh-huh. to camp. <laughs> so I yeah. guess they're not in a huge hurry after all. And then there are all these scenes where Brana is using the rifle to just look at things and look at people doing things. So he's just like mm. aiming his high powered hunting rifle at just random people in the forest. It's like the cop in Plan Nine from Outer 
outer space who just points his gun at people whenever he's talking to them. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Uh, but let's let's go back to the house. So we check in with Tommy. He is. Uh, we find more. Uh, we find out more about his his innate curiosity because he is examining a centipede under a microscope, and he's looking at all the little legs and the the overlapping plates and the body segments and the parts. And you can tell how much he just loves learning about the natural world. But uh oh, the fact that he's looking at a at a creature under a microscope this leads to conflict with the guy I was thinking of as Grandpa, but this is Uncle Bill. Uncle. Bill apparently does not like the book learning. It is witchcraft. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's mentioned that it's a centipede, and and uh, Tommy gives the what is a, a, supposedly the scientific classification for the species, yeah. and Uncle Bill just hates this. He's like, no, it's a centipede to me. We call that a centipede. And it's just heated over it. Heated. This yeah. man is awful. And, and even uh, Mom is not much help. She's like, well, it's dirty. It's like, it shouldn't be in here. Like, there's just, like, Tommy has all this sweetness and, and innocence and, and and curiosity and it's just like uncle bill's just just pounding it into the dirt as the, to to the best of his ability there is far more bacteria on uncle bill than there is on the centipede come on yeah plus you should be so lucky as to have this beautiful predator in your house hunting other pets especially <laughs> if it were a house centipede which um you know, is, is spread with humanity around the world and are especially known for preying on all sorts of things you don't want in your house, like, uh, 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 like, like bed bugs, for example, or cockroaches. Mm. So yeah, mm. like you want a house centipede around. Okay. Finally, we get to the band or the, what, what do you call that? I, I guess when I think of a band, I think of people who play instruments. This is a, a singing group, a group of singers. Oh yeah. None of them are actually playing an instrument, right? There's just, right. They're just singing over a pre-recorded track. Um, so, uh, we see them recording in the studio, they're flying over trout. Uh, and by this point we've essentially established the three movie formula. I know mystery science theater also, uh, thought about the movie this way, but it makes a lot of sense. You got movie a, which is the poachers. 
movie B, which is the the child with pets, and then movie mm-hmm. C, which is the singing group. Yeah, this toxic bunch of band members and their various hangers on and producers. They're just they're just awful. Like this whole scene, like they're doing this terrible number, and Rick is just a, a perfectionist, an abusive perfectionist about the whole thing. Or he's like, it's awful, it stinks. We're taking it from the top. Like you get the impression that he's one of these guys who's like, We're gonna do five hundred takes of this scene until we get it. We're gonna keep doing this track until we're exhausted, until we get it right. And of course, they're not scaling Mount Everest here. We heard the song. We know that it is, it is absolutely <laughs> garbage. Yeah, thinking of other people who do ridiculous, excessive numbers of takes, I think of like Stanley Kubrick or something. Mm-hmm. And, and not that this makes that behavior acceptable, because I mean, even then, I think it could be considered wildly excessive, abusive to the cast and stuff. But at least with Kubrick, you end up with a good movie. Yeah, it's one thing if you're talking about someone who has a, also has a reputation for high quality work. Like, I want to say that, that uh, there are similar tales about Dr. Dre being very um, perfectionist when it comes to producing tracks and all. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of, end of the day, do you have a, a Dr. Dre produced track? Do you have a Stanley Kubrick directed film? No, you have idiot control now. The, this is the wind in my eyes. Yeah. But okay, so they sing the song, and then Rick, uh, the lead singer, is is hideously abusive to all of the other singers, and then they're all going to pile into an RV and go up to the mountains for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Everybody's Sounds getting, great. Ar- getting along great. Let's let's take this to a crowded camper and head out to a crowded cabin somewhere. Oh, and then there's conflict over the fact that so they like open up the door to the RV. It's like, well, we all hate each other and we've been fighting, so let's let's go on a you know spend the weekend in the woods. And they open the door to the RV, and then here is like a, a a lady who introduces herself as Laura. They say that she is the daughter of the a boss of the record label, I think. So it's like they've mm-hmm. got to be nice to her because you know her her dad is is deciding their musical fate. Uh, but immediately, this causes problems between Rick, the the jerk, and his girlfriend Sharon. Because it's, for some reason, immediately clear that Rick and Laura, this other lady, are going to, you know, they're going to get together. And this other guy goes up to, like, the nice guy, I think his name is Brian. He goes up to the girlfriend, Sharon, and he's like, don't worry about it. He says, this is a quote, making out with chicks is part of his act as an artist. Smooth. (laughs) Very smooth. Just every everyone in this group is awful, or they're enabling of awfulness. It's yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's but, fantastic. Oh, <laughs> but also it works. He says that, and she's like, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> but okay, you know. So let's go on a road trip with people we hate, and then there's a lot of driving scenes. We see them mm-hmm. going up and down roads in the RV and winding along while the music plays. Yeah, more time is spent uh, getting these characters to the countryside than getting that uh, that space rock uh, from its uh, origin to the Earth. Uh, meanwhile, we got to check in with Tommy, and here's where things really start to cook. Because Tommy runs off into the woods, and he stumbles across the glowing red cave. And he goes inside, into the red fog. And he sees a dead man with LED lights on his forehead in the pattern of the shape of the Big Dipper. And then Tommy's like, oh, there's a dead man with the Big Dipper on his head. Better steal one of these alien eggs. Now, I want to ask, this is a recurring motif where people in the movie who are killed by the aliens end up with the Big Dipper on their forehead in lights. And I'm wondering, number one, why does that happen? And number two, how does that happen? 
Yeah, I have a lot of questions about this too. Later on, uh, Trumpy indicates that that this is his home constellation, like this is where his mother is. So I guess alien number one, the non-Trumpy, is killing people or in some cases perhaps finding dead people and writing the constellation on their forehead or making it appear with phosphorescent spores or something. Who knows what the, mm. the uh, xenobiological rationale is here. But I'm not sure why it would do this. Is it, like, it would be like us writing Earth on dead aliens that we killed. It, um, I mean, I understand they want to go home, but you're not <laughs> going to achieve that by just writing home on the forehead of, um, of, of your victims. So I'm not sure. I guess it's one of these things that if, don't overthink it. It looks kind of cool. It's kind of a neat effect. Uh, it just doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense. All right. I won't overthink it from now on. <laughs> that's just what happens. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Tommy grabs one of these eggs. He, uh, he's like, well, I'm going to take this back home. Maybe it's religious. Maybe it's like, oh. like, like we're thinking it's something bad, but as we, as we later learn, like these, these, these aliens, they just want to be our friends. Maybe this is like last rites for them. Huh? Yeah. Well, so here's a thing we're thinking about an alien from the direction of the constellation of the big dipper would not see like it itself would not look up into the sky and see the big dipper as the big dipper. That is a feature of our perspective mm -hmm. from earth. So if it were doing this in some ritual way, it would have to be sort of for our benefit or in an earth directed sense. You know what I mean? Like that wouldn't yeah. be a native piece of imagery for them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, in that case, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Trumpy. I can't help you. Uh, but anyway, so Tommy takes the the boy home, and we're gonna have some some good times with the egg. He sneaks the egg into his bedroom. Um, he, uh, he you know he talks to his animals. Uh, I think his mom's like uh, Tommy. What were you out? You know what were you doing out there? And Tommy lies. He says Kitty was meowing. I thought he was hungry. <laughs> uh, but then after mom goes away, Tommy tells all of his other animals, "You just wait and see. You're gonna have a new friend soon." And then the kid goes to sleep, hugging the egg. So so. Oh sweet <laughs> now back to the the kids uh the kid not the kids i mean the i don't know the people in the rv the singers uh they're up to no good they're they're just again just being nasty like the the record executive's daughter laura she uh goes up to rick the jerk in the woods and she's like kiss me rick and he's like well okay and then then she immediately uh in the next scene they're like sitting around a campfire and she's taunting rick's girlfriend like tell her what we did in the woods rick and yeah. I don't know why they're just like absolutely unnecessarily cruel to each other in a way that doesn't even make sense as like normal types of cruelty. It, it just, it's weird. Yeah. It just left feeling like these are all just horrible people and I don't care if an alien kills them in the woods. But uh, this leads to, uh, this leads to Sharon like throwing water in Laura's face or something. And then Laura runs away and then what did you think happened here? What I thought happened was she like saw the poachers and then got scared and fell off the edge of a cliff. But oh, yeah, not only saw the poachers, but one of the poachers, the non Frank Brana poacher yeah. and, and, and the non egg smasher one who's dead, of course. Uh, yeah. The, the, the non Frank Brana attempts to grab her and like yeah. abduct her or assault her or something. And so she runs away from, from him and then she runs off the side of a cliff and, and falls, uh, 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 seems like quite a distance. She falls uh -huh. enough to where she's not completely unconscious, at least. 
Yeah. And so they eventually the RV people come and find her and they take her back to the RV and they try to, I don't know, what is this medical scene? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They, they're like, okay, she at least has a severe concussion. So let's tuck her into bed and pour liquor down her throat. So they they like get a bottle of Jack Daniels or something and they're treating it like it's a a potion of greater healing or something. (laughs) But so they eventually they're going to they're going to show up at the house. Right. So they arrive Mm -hmm. at the house of Tommy's family asking to use a phone. You know, our friend is hurt. We need to call for help. Um, uh, and, uh, and how does the family react? Uncle Bill doesn't take kindly to strangers, of course. Yeah. He grabs a gun. That's his first reaction to to strangers at his door uh, pleading for help. Um, And and his attitude does not improve much at all when he finds out that they're in trouble. He's just like, all right, I guess we let him in the house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the phones, of course, are out. Uh, They say because of the storm, but I don't think we've seen a storm. It's just, I guess all that fog, that just hideous fog bank that's rolled in. It's just just destroying phone lines and everything else. Here's a metal band name, Storm of Fog. There you go. I like it. Oh, also the road is blocked, so they can't leave. So they're just stuck here at the house. And Mm -hmm. they realize they're going to have to spend the night. And tomorrow they'll go find a radio in the ranger's cabin and then use that to call for help. So this place must be very secluded. Uh, I noticed they they didn't make much use of it, but they had a bar in this film, uh, in in this uh, environment, in this cabin, that reminded me a lot of the bar in uh, Devil Girl uh, from Mars. Yes, yeah. Really well stocked, lots mm-hmm. of brown liquors. Yeah, yeah, multiple shelves. Like just that's an extensive liquor collection. But I, I don't know. We don't really see people sitting around enjoying it. I guess they just didn't have time with all that's happening here. Meanwhile, the poachers are out camping in the woods, and whew, they're having a hard time. I thought they were going to be getting out of there, but they're just hanging around for some reason. I don't understand what the poachers are doing. Yeah, they at first they acted like they realized something was wrong and they needed to get the heck out of Dodge. But then uh, they're not, there's no real rush later on. They're like, all right, well, I guess we're walking out of here. They, they seem concerned about the fact that their truck is gone, but mm. they don't really do anything about it. They accept that the really bad poacher says, well, couldn't we steal those kids' camper? And he's like, like you idiot, you, you can't do that. You've already, we're already doing enough crimes here. We don't yeah. need more crimes. Yeah, it's the bearded one that wants to take the RV. The other guys, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, Frank Brana is more like, oh, that'll get us into more trouble. Yeah, we're just here to poach eggs. We're not here to kidnap. We're not here to steal vehicles. And the bearded guy is like, well, we could do all those things. We have time. Let's do those things. But so they're camping out in the woods and they, uh-oh, they encounter an alien. And I think this is the first time we actually get a look at what the alien body forms are like in this movie. So it, the alien is like uh, sort of a furry uh, squat Chewbacca style body, uh, but mm-hmm. much shorter. And then the head has uh, like a pointy apex on top and then long aardvark snout and then pointy elf ears. I thought this scene was was rather effective because when we see the creature here, and we, granted, we have some context as well. We've seen, presumably, we've seen it kill already. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it looks a little bit cute. There's a, some cuteness here. It's not just completely monstrous, but there's an uncanniness to it as well. And then also the, the lighting is very dark. Uh, uh, or the, the human characters here are being, uh, you know, very cautious around it. Uh, and then another thing that I really like about the extraterrestrials in this film is the eyes they created for them are very expressive. Like, they're very glassy, like living-looking eyes that I think give them mm-hmm. a lot of character. 
But to keep up with your theory that the alien only turns murderous because it is repeatedly exposed to aggression from humans early on, uh, so it walks up to the campfire. I don't know what its original plan is, but they start shooting it with a crossbow. Yeah, they're kind of like the the bearded guy. He kind of he's like, "Hey, come on in." He's trying to small talk the alien. He's offering mm-hmm. a big grotesque piece of meat that they've been mm-hmm. cooking over the fire. Um, you know, just already kind of an unsettling display. But then Frank Brana tries to net it. They fire a crossbow bolt at it. And the, the bolt hits it in the hits the alien in the chest. So yeah, these are not good ambassadors of humanity here. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Meanwhile, back at the house, uh uh-oh, that egg's hatching. Uh, It pops open. There's a little kind of greasy, slimy little alien in there. uh, So cute. So cute. (laughs) It's not cute yet. (laughs) It's already cute. It's already cute. It's a slimy little like like fetal uh, elephant creature. And uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was cute. Okay, I won't argue with you. Um, the, he he starts feeding the alien food. Uh, it's eating a lot. It really enjoys vacuuming up milk with its snout. He names it Trumpy. I assume that's because it has a long snout, and so that is like a trumpet. I don't think that's ever made explicit, but that's what I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It could also originate in one of the the, the two uh, original languages for the film. I don't know. Maybe it makes even more sense in French or, or, or in Spanish. I don't know. But the kid's like, oh, we're going to play now that you're getting bigger. Uh, do you know what playing is, Trumpy? And Trumpy does not know, but Trumpy will find out. So this is the world that Trumpy has is is introduced to. This is the human world that he's introduced to. A world of of, uh, of, of copious amounts of food. A lot of it is breakfast cereals, toys, play, um, friendship, all the things that were denied to extraterrestrial one. But remember now, this is all taking place in the same house where the, the RV singers are staying overnight. Mm-hmm. And apparently Laura, the, the record executive's daughter who fell off the cliff, she dies overnight and they come and see her and they see something is horrible about her face. We already know what it is. It's going to be the, you know, the big dipper with the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I guess overnight also Trumpy becomes much bigger. He grows from like the size of a little toy on the on the shelf to basically the same size as Tommy. Uh, and we see that this great scene that is uh, hilarious in the Mystery Science Theater version yeah, where yeah. Trumpy is just surveying the buffet of Tommy's pets, panning over the, the rabbits and the hamsters and the cat and all that stuff. Yeah, they, they make some great uh, riffs in, the, in that episode about him considering eating all these animals. But, but in, this, in the original film, uh, he does not eat any of the animals. And I kind of get the sense that, that these are vegetarians, that they don't eat meat, which makes the <laughs> earlier offering of the grotesque meat by the, the bearded poacher even more fitting. You know, he's like, like, come here, organism. Would you like some organism? Uh, but in this scene, we also discover via interactions with a toy robot that Trumpy has telekinesis. Oh, yes. Like, not, a, not even just a little bit. Like, not just a little bit of, of Carrie White, but like full power Carrie White. Like, uh-huh. full, uh, almost godlike telekinetic powers. Well, E.T. does, too. I think this is an E.T. Oh, uh, touch yeah. from E.T. Yeah. Does E.T., like, bring the whole room to life? It's been so long since I've seen E.T. Uh, I think I so, yeah. There, I think there's a scene where E.T. does basically the same thing Trumpy does. Like, makes all mm-hmm. the, you know, the toys fly around and stuff. Hmm. I feel like... Uh, Trumpy probably does it better. I feel like I, I'm if I were to watch ET again, I would side with with the Trumpy um, cut because Trumpy basically uses a Simon game to uh, cut a synth track, like this carnival uh-huh. synth track that starts playing. Like uh, Trumpy does this by manipulating the the Simon software. I did not expect your take on this movie to be so anti ET. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ET's fine. You can't hate ET, but. But I also, I don't, like, I've, also, I've seen E.T. like once in my life. I've seen mm. pod people or extraterrestrial visitors multiple, multiple times. Uh, what, what else does Trumpy eat? So I'm trying to think, do, do they ever feed him meat? He, we see him suck up a bunch of milk. We see Tommy bring him, oh, a big old thing of planters peanuts. And you can see yeah. the label. So, I mean, planters, surely they paid for that placement. <laughs> <laughs> you know they did. This is the, it's the, the, the Reese's uh, treatment, right? And they do a special effect where, you know, Trumpy's snout is like a vacuum cleaner and it's sucking mm-hmm. up all the peanuts. Uh, when we In this scene, we get some really good looks at Trumpy's eyes. Notice Trumpy has uh, vertical slit pupils, like oh. a cat. Ooh, nice. Yeah, again, these are lovely eyes. Um, yeah, whoever did this, this costume, I feel like they, uh, they, they kind of knocked it out of the park. I like it. But Trumpy learns puzzles and games. He telekinetically solves a puzzle uh, and manipulates a, a, a Simon Says thing. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a there's a bonding scene where Tommy is drawing and he draws this hideous picture and says, <laughs> that's my mommy. Do you have a mommy? Yeah, his picture of his mom looks like a, a Ric Flair Pez dispenser. It's, it's great. <laughs> yep. Uh, it also, it looks absolutely nothing like his mommy. Like it's not even close, not even the same hair color, mm-hmm. but the, anyway, this is the Trumpy. You can do magic things here, uh, scene and, and Trumpy turns the child's bedroom into a living nightmare of carnival music, flickering lights, dancing toys, terrorizing the pets. Uh, he sticks to the ceiling like Baron Harkonnen. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, and also his eyes glow like stars. It's a, it's it's pretty great. Uh, now, is this the scene where Trumpy says where his mommy is and points out the constellation? 
I think so, because I think he shows him the picture, Tommy's picture of his own mommy, and he says, where's your mommy? And, and he's like, he points, and Tommy's like, oh, your mommy, you mean the trees, your mommy's in the trees. And he's like, no, uh, Trumpy points at, um, at a, a, a map of the constellations and causes one of the constellations, the, the, one of the dippers, to glow. Yeah. Now, exactly like in E.T., also, there's a whole thing of Tommy trying to hide Trumpy from his family, like ha- yeah. hiding him in the closet and stuff. Obviously, this is more difficult while uh, while Trumpy is playing DJ in the bedroom. But there's the distraction of um, of, a, of a dead woman downstairs, so I guess that probably helps cover things up. They're not as concerned about what new animal Tommy has uh, snuck into the house. But at one point, maybe later, but uh, uh, it, Mom ha- gets short with Tommy, and she's like, "Like, oh, more animals? They're all going out tomorrow." And yeah, that sounds kind of kind of harsh, Mom. You know, he loves these animals. Even I don't kitten? think she come on. <laughs> That's an empty threat. Okay. Uh, but meanwhile, speaking of grisly murders, uh, Grandpa and one of the RV kids, they go off looking for the ranger station. I think this is the guy, Brian, who uh, earlier was like, hey, you know, don't worry about Rick making out with other girls. That's just part of his act. Mm-hmm. Brian and uh, and Uncle Bill, they, they go to the ranger station. Uncle Bill just walks around pointing his gun at everything. And they find one of the poachers inside, but he is dead. And he's got a big dipper in, in lights on his forehead, just like everybody else. And then one of the aliens attacks them. It seemingly kills the RV dude and Grandpa escapes. Now, here's a question I wonder about. Um, are we are we as the audience supposed to be wondering if this is Trumpy doing the killing? Since in the scene right before this, Trumpy sneaks off and disappears. Or are we supposed to assume that this is a different alien that just looks identical to Trumpy? I, I think we discover it is a different alien, but I don't know if that's intentionally supposed to be an open question or not. Yeah, I'm not sure on this because it it seems like on one hand the killing started before Trumpy hatched. So yeah. if we're just looking at the timeline of events, we we can't pin all the murders on Trumpy. There has to be a, a uh, has to be another a a, a, a primary uh, alien out there, an extraterrestrial mm-hmm. one. So I don't I, I have a hard time understanding how we the viewer are supposed to think Trumpy might be doing this, but also. It's hard to reflect on this because I. It's been so long since I had a fresh viewing of this. Like I, I it seems like I've always known that Trumpy was innocent and incapable of murder. He is blameless. Uh, <laughs> did you notice the ranger cabin in the woods here has framed portraits of Ronald Reagan on the wall? Yeah, yeah, that that made me laugh. I feel like there was after I saw it, I have a vague recollection of there being a riff about the Gipper or something in the, yeah. the MST three K episode. But it is an odd inclusion because this again is Spain. It's supposed to be Spain, and it's filmed in Spain. I don't know why Ronald Reagan's on the wall. Uh, so we see the alien kill another one of the band members. This is the singer Tracy. He just he kills her in the RV. And uh-oh, this time Tommy happens to be looking through the telescope at the, down at the RV outside, I guess, to witness this. And because the aliens look the same, he thinks Trumpy is the killer. Oh, no. Yeah. There, there is a rift between them now. Now, this is definitely the point at which, uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine that this particular murder was itself, un- uh, that, that, that it was provoked in any way. This seems to be an unprovoked killing by extraterrestrial one. Yeah, Tracy, what, you think Tracy attacked the alien? No, I mean, Tracy's yeah. just, she's just chilling. Yeah. 
Anyway, the rest of the survivors are all holed up in the cabin. Um, oh, except Tommy, for some reason, like he runs off into the into the bog and fog to to find Trumpy. And here there is a really weird scene where there's a, a standoff between Uncle Bill and Rick, the the jerk lead singer. Uh, where Uncle Bill's like, have you ever used a gun before? And Rick says, I don't need a gun to defend myself. And then Uncle Bill says, yeah, you probably pay others to defend you. <laughs> and then Rick aims the rifle at, at Grandpa here, at Uncle Bill, and then shoots in his direction without hitting him. He like shoots a glass beside him on the bar. And then everybody's like, why are you shooting at Uncle Bill? And he goes, I don't like anyone bugging me. <laughs> yeah, this is the act of a, of a rational character that we're supposed to root for. Now, Tommy comes back to, so he ran off into the woods. Then he comes back and he finds Trumpy in his bedroom. And playful, happy music is chiming. But then there it begins this mad exchange between Tommy's a voice. Again, this is dubbed by like an adult woman, I think. And, and Trumpy's various like head nods and head shakes to communicate. Uh, so the kid is saying, Trumpy, no, stay there, stay away. Why did you kill that girl? Why did you kill that girl? Why did you do that? Now I can't be your friend anymore. Naughty Trumpy, very naughty. Now they'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but Trumpy, I think, is able to explain himself with head nods. It, somehow mm-hmm. he's like, no, no, it wasn't me, shaking his head. And then the kid's like, was it someone else? Did another one do this? And Trumpy nods. He's protesting his innocence. And so eventually I think Tommy is convinced that Trumpy is innocent. And for some reason he dresses Trumpy up like a Jawa, like he puts a coat with a hood on over him. I, I'm not sure what the <laughs> purpose of that is. I guess to sneak him out of the house, but there are no other children anywhere in the vicinity in the film yeah. at all. So I don't, I don't know exactly what Tommy was hoping to pull off with this. This is just my friend, the bipedal aardvark who wears a raincoat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get another random alien attack. Uh, the the other Trumpy species alien attacks one of the RV ladies in the bathroom. We get a mirror scare where she wipes mm-hmm. the, the fog off of the bathroom mirror and it's standing behind her and then it attacks. Uh, there are more scenes of Tommy and Trumpy arguing to Tommy saying that you have to hide or they'll kill you. And eventually this all comes to a head when uh, when the mother and Sharon, I think, see Trumpy. They're mm-hmm. like the kids trying to sneak him through the house and they're like, there it's that monster. And Tommy tries to explain. He says, no, it wants to be our friend. He's good. He's good. Um, they all want to be our friends, but we won't let them. And of course the mother doesn't believe that. So, so uh, Tommy and Trumpy really have no choice. They flee into the woods and here in the woods, you think the other alien is about to sneak up on Tommy and, and give him what for, but Trumpy intervenes. Yeah, we finally have uh, Extraterrestrial 1 and Extraterrestrial 2, a.k.a. Trumpy, meeting up in the woods. Now, eventually, there's a big showdown. Uh, Uncle Bill and Rick, uh, they, they shoot the other alien, the non-Trumpy alien. Grandpa is killed in this scuffle, but Rick blasts the alien to death. And then it, like, turbo buries its own body telekinetically. Yeah, we have another self-burying monster, kind of like the some of the creatures in Crawl. Yeah. It's a great effect. Uh, I like it. I, I'd like to see more of it in my monster films. 
and there's a tearful goodbye between Tommy and Trumpy. You know, it's like, they'll never accept you, Trumpy. We cannot be together. And the humans all walk off together, and Trumpy is left behind in the woods, and finally he wanders away into the mist. You never know if he gets back to his home planet or not, or, or what happens to him. Uh, he just wanders away, and then roll credits, and Rick survives. Yeah, that's, that's the weird choice. Uh, perhaps a product of this film probably changing its direction and priorities at some point in production. Yeah. Uh, they're like, oh, well, we forgot to do anything with Rick. Well, it's all right. But I have to say that this, the ending to this film, it got me. I, I, uh, I teared up a bit, you know, because wow. the aliens, it turns out, you know, they are good. And in fact, it's not just a matter where, okay, Trumpy's good, but the other one is purely evil. Like we have that moment where Trumpy is able to communicate with its its fellow alien and and it seems to maybe even convince him of some of this stuff. Like, no, uh, okay, a lot of these humans are bad, but Tommy's cool. Um, they have this moment. Uh, so the aliens are good. Tommy's good. Humanity itself is just hostile and violent and mean-spirited. Uh, and Tommy and Trumpy are just too good for the world. And and so, but but the, but what happens, Tommy has to push Trumpy away. He has to send him off into the woods where, you know, either he does find a way back to his home planet or he just lives in the woods as uh, like a wild being, like a Sasquatch for the rest of his life. And we're left wondering, like, can Tommy retain his sweetness and goodness as he continues on in this world? Uh, is he, or is he saying goodbye not only to his friend Trumpy? Is he not only pushing Trumpy away from him, but is he pushing away his own innocence and his own hope for a sweeter world? Uh, and I think that's, that's, that was all going through my head here as I was, I was tearing up watching this uh, this this poor extraterrestrial uh, being left in the foggy woods and then walking off into the wilderness. Wow, the gospel yeah. of Trumpy. Yeah, and we also had, we had some some very potent synth music playing over all this. So, uh, that that also helped. So, like like I say, I'm I'm know I'm reading a lot into this film, and <laughs> also this film is you know it's coming in the wake of ET. It's patterning itself off of. Uh, existing media and in doing so it's retaining some of the inherent messages in those in those pictures uh but i don't know also maybe simone here you know he was he was trying to to to, to get this message across maybe he was uh trying to say something about uh, about the world and about uh, childhood innocence i don't know like i feel like the, the the film does have a heart you know there's still there's still some heart there and the, what heart is there is genuine i wonder what uh you know what kind of new themes and possibilities emerge from a sort of a patch over job like this, because I can't remember if we already said this, I at least read about this movie. Uh, I think you may have alluded to this, that it was originally intended to be just more of a heartless kind of like alien slasher movies, just more like night beast or something. It's mm -hmm. just about an alien that runs around killing people. And then ET came out and they were like, Oh, we got to make this a sweet story about uh, the bond between a child and an alien and a child's love yeah. and um, friendship from the hearts of space. And, <laughs> and trying to smash those two things together makes for such a weird product, but maybe also uh, having some elements that would not have, have been achieved had it just been an attempt to create an ET ripoff from the beginning. Yeah, it, that is a great question. Cause it, it kind of reminds me again of Gremlins where the original Gremlins movie by being totally inconsistent seems to have a core message of, Hey kids, monsters exist and there's no Santa Claus, you know, which, which <laughs> clearly was nobody's key intention, but I think that's 
probably what comes comes this is the kind of thing that emerges when priorities shift and the tone changes and the tone is inconsistent throughout a picture. Every day I feel closer to doing Gremlins too. Oh yeah, I I I think it's it's a grand idea. I think we should we should make it be our Christmas episode this year. Having done ETV, we have to do uh, G two. No stopping it. All right. Well, that is extraterrestrial visitors, or visitors, or EVP, or of course um, the hatching of monsters. I think the hatching of monsters is really good because it also because mm-hmm. we have different types of monsters. We have the alien monster. And we have the human monsters. Uh, I, I think it's a good title. I wish they. I kind of wish they'd, they'd stuck with that across translations. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, we'd love to hear from anyone out there. If you have particular thoughts and memories, uh, insight about this picture, you know, perhaps you, uh, you know, like us, uh, grew up watching the MST3K episode. Perhaps you have prior experience uh, with pod people or the or um, uh, extraterrestrial visitors. Uh, definitely write in and let us know. And hey, if you do find a superior. A copy of the film out there uh, that we're not aware of, let us know. Uh, I'm hoping that if it doesn't exist now, at some point in the future, that'll be the next big one. Because there, there are a lot of worse films that get uh, get the restoration treatment. Uh, and, uh, and and I'm not, not saying that that's bad. Uh, it's probably just a case of nobody's found superior footage from extraterrestrial visitors yet, but I hope they do. Maybe it's self-buried itself in the, in the Spanish forest somewhere. It wants to be found. All right, till next time, Weird House Cinema publishes every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. We're primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Monday. No, no, core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Sorry, Mondays, that's listener mail. Wednesday, that's Artifact or Monster Fact, a short form episode. And on the weekends, we do a rerun. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 